Uh, I'm Sam Wiegand here. I'm a second-year focused missionary here at the University of South Dakota uh, with Father John. Great. And for anybody who doesn't know what focus is, can you just say what it means to be a missionary? Yeah. What it means to be a missionary is a great question. Well, okay. So what does it mean yeah. to be a focused missionary? And then, yeah. and then we'll, 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 right. we'll take it from there. Yeah. So focus is an organization, um, that started like in 1998. So it's about as old as I am, which is cool. Uh, that stands for fellowship of Catholic university students. So it's an organization that's a missionary organization. So they go out and the mission of the organization is to, um, know Christ Jesus and uh, fulfill the Great Commission, right? Which the Great Commission is what Jesus told us right before he uh, ascended to go out and baptize uh, people of every nation, right? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Focus goes about doing that. Uh, and we do that in a lot of different ways, um, but very much based in the same model that Christ himself used of for, like making very intentional friendships uh, and intentional disciples uh, so they can go and make disciples themselves. Uh, we do that through different things, whether it's just through normal like friendship of meeting a human being, talking to them, realizing we have common interests, and then like living life together. Uh, other more intentional things, such as like Bible studies, um, having different like groups for different things. Um, but yeah, focus at like I think over two hundred locations now in the world, which is really cool. Um, so yeah, I was. Just, so just one of the say a little bit about what it was like to grow up in your house. Uh, in regards to faith? Yeah, I would, so I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. so a little bit south of Vermilion uh, in the good life of Nebraska. But I was very blessed to be in a good Catholic family. My parents were always, um, since I was born, always like practicing. So we always go to Mass every Sunday, pray before meals. We have like an Advent wreath during Advent. Um, sometimes we talk about the faith. Once in a while we pray like rosary. Good Friday, we always went like super hard. That was always my favorite thing. Mm. Where it was, it was like the rest of the year was like good, like all this stuff. And then Good Friday, it's like noon to three. Go in your room, read the Bible. Don't talk to anyone. <laughs> it was like that was like super intense, and everything else was like just like oh, this is good. This makes sense. Um, but I mean, we didn't we didn't like uh, we never had like deep like theological discussions or anything. But it was just like kind of knew it was important and it was good. My sister had a much earlier like deepening of her faith in like middle school and high school, um, where mine kind of came late in high school and in college. Uh, hers was like pretty quick, going on like the March for Life and doing all these different nun runs and youth group and all this stuff. And I definitely like viewed that as, as a thing of like, I don't want to do that. Not because it's not good, but because she's doing it and I want to be different. Uh, which is, is really funny because she's also a focused missionary. So even though growing up, I was like, I don't want to be like her and I'm actually doing very similar things. <laughs> so it's just kind of funny how that works out. Mm. Yeah, what, uh, what brought you to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln? Honestly, I knew I was going to go to college, and I liked Nebraska, mm. and I liked Nebraska sports, and it was a reasonable price, and it was far enough away from home that I wasn't home, but close enough that if I actually needed something, my parents could be there in like an hour. So I, I didn't even like tour. I didn't even think about it. I was like, I'll oh, just go there. That seems good. <laughs> no, I didn't tour. Looked. I didn't think about it. I technically applied to three schools because in the Nebraska state system, you can like check two more boxes to apply to like Kearney and Omaha, but I had no intention of even thinking about them as options. I was like, for free, I can apply to three schools? Okay. So I yeah, didn't even think about anywhere else. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really an option. It was kind of just like, oh, this makes sense. What were the first moments of 
that you look back now of faith sort of being possible? What happened that you ended up being connected to your faith in such mm-hmm. a deep way if you weren't interested in your sister's path? Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of funny, like, looking back on, like, so I went to Catholic school through, through high school. Um, and looking back on it, like, in the moment, in Catholic school, I knew all the stuff, right? Like, it, it made sense on an intellectual level. Like, the morality of it made sense. The, like... All of it made sense on a practical level, but I didn't know God. I didn't know Jesus, really. Um, the way I always like to describe it is I like to describe it as like a way, uh, who's your favorite athlete? you have a favorite athlete? No. Great. Let's go with like LeBron, <laughs> LeBron James because he's, okay. like, he's pretty well known, right? Sounds good. And in a way, like you, you, you don't even really, I mean, you just said you don't really care about sports. Have you probably heard about LeBron James? Maybe. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That, you that, probably that. even can name a couple things about him, not that much, but like a couple. Like he's a basketball player, he's pretty tall, he's pretty good, plays for the Lakers, he's won a couple championships. But you don't know him at all. Correct. Yeah. That that's the same way I felt like it was with me and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Where I could tell you all the stuff about him. I could tell you stuff about the church. I could tell you the Ten Commandments, he tell you all this random stuff about Moses or whoever it was, but I didn't actually know the guy. Mm-hmm where it actually like mattered. Um, then it was like my senior year of high school, literally about a month left of school. Um, and I had a, there's this girl I was really interested in and she was going to some like praise and worship night. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> I'm going to go talk to this girl and figure out this God thing. Um, and I go and it had been about, I think a month. Uh, before that, I had a friend who had taken his own life. Um, so I'm like laying with that, like dealing with it. To like 18 years old, don't really know how. Didn't really have this like deep relationship with God yet. Didn't really know how to pray, all that stuff. Um, and I don't even remember like having memories of going to adoration before this. I'm sure I did, but it just it didn't mean anything to me yet, so I didn't think about it. So I remember going, and adoration is pretty pretty simple have like somewhere between one to three candles on each side of the altar and a monstrance in the middle symmetrical because symmetry is beauty right and I remember looking at the altar and I started looking like there's a bunch of freaking candles on this altar like there's a ton like a weird amount so I started counting them on the left side I counted seven candles which is just a weird weird amount on like so many levels but the part that made it weirder was that I looked at the right side of the monstrance and there were six. So on two levels, one, that's just way too many candles. What are they doing? On the other level, that's not even the same amount, so it doesn't even look good. <laughs> and I had this moment where I, I realized, like I, I like 76, my, my friend who uh, had taken his own life, his number in football was 76. And the whole time I'm just praying, like, Lord, I just want to know he's okay. I just want to know he's okay. That's all I was praying for. And yeah, maybe it was a coincidence, but even if it was, like God took it and like ran with it. And I had this moment where it was like, oh, holy crap, this whole God thing's real. Like there's something going on here. There's more where like that was like this opening to like receiving what like the actual like love could be and what it is. Um, and even that was just like a foretaste of it from like from that though, I was like, okay, I need to like actually figure this stuff out because if this is real, then this is like very real and very important. So I 
started trying to pray more. Still didn't really know how. Didn't know what I was doing. I literally had a sister that was a focused missionary. I probably could have asked her, mm-hmm. but I just didn't. You know, I'm like, oh, I'll figure it out somehow. <laughs> uh, and that happened, yeah, right at the end of my like senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. So when you went to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, you were already open to the God question. You, you had already <laughs> answered the God question. What did you uh, seek out right when you went in early on in your time there? Yeah. Um, so I moved into sweet style dorms there with three of my good friends from high school. Um, <coughs> I'm still good friends with all of them. But the way, the way I described that first semester was like the loneliest I'd ever felt while being the most surrounded by people I'd ever been. It's like being in a crowded room, but you don't know anyone type thing. So there's all these people and all these things going on. But you're like, I don't feel like anyone actually knows who I am or like what's happening or why I'm here. Or like, what's the point? Even though I still have these like good friends that were there for me and were like, you know, were like quality men around me. Um, there was like something missing more. And I remember I texted my sister because she had just moved back to be a missionary in Nebraska because she was engaged to my now brother-in-law who was the team director for the focus team at Nebraska. So she was a missionary my freshman year there till my junior year, which was actually really, really cool to be able to like be with them and like walk with them in faith as well. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, and I remember I texted her. I was like, hey, Haley, does the Newman Center at Lincoln never have like adoration at all? And she just said the word yes. And I, I thought adoration is this, like, rare, special thing that, like, doesn't happen that often. Like, once a month, you know. And I'm like, oh, when do they have it? Like, once a month? And she just said every day from 10 a.m. until 10 p.m. And I was like, oh, holy cow. And based on my schedule, most days I would get done with class before noon. It was either, depending on the day, I'd be done at, like, 11, 20 or something, or I'd be done at, like, 2. And then I typically would walk back to my dorm which the Newman Center, it wasn't directly on the way, but it was slightly out of the way, but not that much out of the way, to stop there and then go right home right after. So I'd go in, I would get in the chapel, and I didn't know what I was doing, so I started just reading the daily readings for the day. And like kind of reflecting on them, and pretty much doing Lexio Divina without knowing what Lexio Divina was, mm-hmm. um, which is really funny to look back on. I'd like read it, like, oh, how does this, what does this mean? Okay, how does this apply to my life? And like pray about it. Pretty much literally doing Lexio without having any clue what that meant. Um, and I, I would do that pretty much, maybe not every day, but like three days out of the week, four days out of the week. And I, I was weird in the sense of most people go to the Newman Center or go to a church more for like the community part first than the church part. Or maybe like the church initially, but then the community grows and like the prayer part comes later. It was like, I didn't care about anyone else. I was in, I was praying, I was figuring out my stuff with God, and then I'm like, I don't want to talk to anyone, I'm just out, I'm going. So the only person I knew that was there was Haley and Luke. And then they had me meet some of the other missionaries, I had no interest in them at all. I was like, okay, they seem nice, cool. But I had a handful of people that me the Bible say, like, yeah, I don't think I'm gonna do that. That doesn't sound very interesting to me at all. So I kept, yeah, every day praying, and then eventually just Things were like clicking in a, in a weird way that only the Bible, like only actual legitimate sacred scripture can, where I remember I texted my sister, I remember this vividly. I texted her and I was like, Haley, am I like doing this wrong? Like, 
I feel like I'm making up too many coincidences where it feels like this thing is speaking to me too much every day. And she's just like, no, that's pretty normal. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, it's living scripture. And then my head exploded because it made sense that it wasn't just this normal book, right? Like any of these books on this bookshelf near me, um, or like books I have in my backpack right now that aren't the Bible, where she's like, oh, cool. Like, that's a great book. But it doesn't, it's not living, right? Where the Bible is legitimately inspired by the Holy Spirit himself. So it's literally living. The same Holy Spirit that like entered in me in baptism also wrote the, like inspired the Bible. So it makes sense that it's moving within me in a way that's deeper than I could have expected. Um, so it, I remember reading it and like seeing stuff and it's like, this is directly applied to my life. This is literally insane that this is speaking to me in this way. And I didn't know what to do with it. I wasn't really talking to anyone about it. I was just reading it, writing notes down, and then going back home, typically grabbing lunch right after, and then just hanging out with my friends mm -hmm. for a bit. Um, yeah, I wasn't really talking about it. It wasn't a Bible study. It wasn't in anything like that. Just like kind of doing it myself and leaving. Um, yeah, that was, that was kind of the like initial start of that. Um, kind of... Yeah, we're at what I started doing at Lincoln. Having had the journey of this moment um, of praise and worship with adoration back then, mm -hmm. how does that having happened to you affect the way you live with other people or propose the gospel to other people? Mm. How, knowing that that is part of your journey, yeah. what what does how does that change? what you expect from others or provide to others I mean it, or want to lead others to yeah I mean the, the simple like I think once once like to truly accept the gospel itself right which is like the basic message that we were made for relationship that relationship was broken likely of this all-knowing all-loving God who had the perfect plan to enter into earth as a man um, to live die and to sacrifice himself so that we may be able to come back into that relationship with him however we need to respond to that part right and the response part is when we make him actually the center of our lives and bring other people to him or else it wouldn't really be the center of our lives or we wouldn't want to live with other people right because if he's really important and we don't tell people about him then those people clearly aren't important to us either you know um, but like for me specifically given the way that that was like the initial event that kind of sparked more events and more other things that have happened. Um, that that's something that I, I, I honestly don't even think about it until you like ask me. But it <laughs> makes sense that that's something that's so impactful and powerful to me is like is the reality of the Eucharist and the reality of adoration of this this possibility this time to spend directly with God incarnate Himself in front of me. Which when we think about it for more than five minutes at all, our heads start like exploding mm -hmm. because. That's a crazy concept that like the God, that God himself is, a, is present in a very real, tangible way, uh, in a way that he planned and designed so that we could spend deeper time with him in that way. So it, yeah, it makes sense that when I am able to like share and like invite people into things, typically one of the first things we invite people into is to have deeper prayer, but particularly deeper prayer in the context of being in front of a tabernacle or in front of the monstrance mm. because of the way that that has impacted me in a deep way. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, no, that's really, it's really fascinating to like, think about the way that 
my story intertwines with the way that my story interacts with other people. Mm. So like the way that Jesus has spoken to me, it makes sense that I would assume that other people would hear him that way too. Yeah, because I, I think a lot of times that is probably one of the first things I invite people into if they're like trying to start the Christian life. Obviously, it depends on where they're at, right? If they're like, I don't know who Jesus is, first thing is probably like to tell them about him, and then be like, all right, here's the Bible. Like, read these God, read God, read, read these four guys: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we can talk about it as you're doing. It's not just like, all right, go do it. Yeah, but that's a pretty good starting point, and then to start developing the actual relationship. With, yeah. You you seem to have uh, a skill in relationality. What sort of things have you learned in your time as a missionary that maybe would help other people? What do what do you what do you what have you learned about being in friendship with people that you either want to grow in faith or are growing in faith that have helped you that you didn't know when you started? Yeah. What sort of practical things <laughs> yeah. have you learned? I, I think that, so there's like three or four I'm thinking of right, right away. And I'm just saying that number out loud, even though I've been saying all three. But the, the immediate two I'm thinking about are like intentionality and like understanding. Can you explain those? Yeah, yeah. So like when it comes to intentionality, not just assuming like, oh yeah, they'll just show up and it'll work. It's like, well, actually like to actually seek someone out. You know, you see someone walk out of mass and in mass, I've never seen that guy before. I wonder who he is to actually make the step to grab him. Not like in a physical way, because that'd probably be weird, but just be like, hey, I don't think I know your name. And then you get their name, you start asking basic questions. Like when you meet a normal person, oh, where are you from? What year are you? Because we're in, you know, in the context of being at college, most people are probably in college. And if not, they're like, oh, I'm not in college. And you start asking other questions. Like, oh, what do you do then? Like, oh, how'd you end up in Vermilion? Like all these just general get to know a person question. And I think the intentionality, because a lot of people just aren't intentional anymore. Because mm. I think it's it's scary because being intentional is you're you're making yourself known in a way and almost creating like a slight vulnerability, not even that high level of vulnerability to be honest initially, but enough of a vulnerability if I'm taking interest in you. Mm. And then if people don't take interest back in you, mm. then there's like a fear. So people don't take interest in people in the first place. Um, so I think that's the first step is like to take that intentionality like okay I'm going to seek this person out right like I've seen this person they look interesting I don't know them at all even if they don't look interesting they're just a person I've never met before you know so that is interesting in of itself um, which reminds me of another one I thought of like to stay curious because mm. um, if you stay curious about people you come to realize so much more because as you're curious you ask more questions and as you ask more questions you come to learn more which actually probably leads to more curiosity because as we come to learn more information about people, we can learn, we can love them more, right? Because knowledge leads to intimacy and intimacy is like an aspect of love. So yeah, I mean, as you're intentional, you can start to seek people out. Um, and from that seeking them out, you come to know more. And as you come to know more, you probably realize you have more in common. And if you don't have more in common, you probably just find them interesting in some way or another. Mm-hmm if they're actually answering questions. Sometimes it can be hard because not everyone is good at answering questions or wants to answer questions or you're not asking the right questions, which that's something I'm still learning is what are the good questions to ask? What are the bad questions to ask? What is it to take the next step in the questions versus 
you know, just the basic of how'd you end up here, all that stuff to what makes you like, like deeper questions. Mm. That, that strikes me because, uh, I, I, if I were to describe my evangelization mm-hmm. style, I would describe it as evangelization by question. Yep. You've been with me for a semester now. Would oh, you I'm, say like, yeah. yeah. So like if I see a table with if people within five minutes, there's going to be a question posed. And it's interesting how you say that like over time, I think the reason I can get to a certain place quickly is because it's been mm-hmm. 15 years I've been doing this. It's mm-hmm. been a long time with a lot of experience. I meet a lot of people. And mm-hmm. so you learn the craft of when is the question the right question? Yeah. Be, and, and how do you know it hit versus <coughs> how do you know it didn't hit? And that like, that's all an art. Mm-hmm. And it just takes time. And then even in the end, like, well, what am I trying to get to? And, and, you know, like, why am I asking the questions? Or, you know, there's just a lot that goes into that. But if you do pay attention, um, in the end, I think, like, the gospel reading where uh, John sends his disciples to Jesus to ask if he's the one that is to come, or is there another? Yeah. And and he, so he goes there with this question, Um and then he sends them back saying, well, these are the, thing, these are the things that I've seen. Uh, in a way, that's kind of like what oftentimes we can do mm-hmm. is don't worry about like trying to make the final answer happen. Mm-hmm. Create an environment where <coughs> what are you seeing? The curiosity. What are you seeing? Where is your life? What's happened to you? And and I think the confidence to believe that God isn't just showing up in the person's life that I'm talking to because I showed up. He's been in their life. So maybe I need to be curious about where he's been. And then all of a sudden I see a jumping off point where I see, ah, you and I are alike. You know, Uh, we've both had someone we lost to to take in their life or we Mm -hmm. both had, you know, and you'd like. I didn't think that was going to come up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Let's follow that. <laughs> yeah. It's like the art of conversation. Um, but even beyond that, the, I think the boldness and asking the certain types of questions that are not the easy questions, right? Of like, Oh, you know, talking about the weather, talking about sports, mm. which I don't think are bad, right? They're definitely easy parts to make general connections with people. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times there can be a fear to ask harder questions. Because you don't know the answer. <laughs> yeah. You know, as yeah. opposed to asking genuine, like, curious based questions. Yeah. Um, the other part about understanding, coming to understand, which is like similar to just listening, as opposed to having a motivation, or not, I mean, having motivation is good, but having a motive, per se, mm. of like, this conversation, I'm going to do this thing. There's certain times that have those very intentional conversations, but then there's the other times of just meeting a person. And then you're just asking questions and coming to just literally coming to understand them mm. so you can know them in a deeper way as opposed to forcing anything upon them. Yeah. Right. Where do I think door to door evangelization never works? No, I don't think it's the most effective way to do it. I think it definitely can work, but I think an actual relational way where I've come to know this person and show them that I love this, love them because I've actually spent the time 
and ask the questions and have gotten to know them as opposed to just this initial thing of, oh, do you, I'm going to tell you this stuff. Mm-hmm. And say, well, I don't know you. I don't, why do I care what you think? As opposed to this trust that has been built in a very real, natural, genuine way mm-hmm. of coming to understand their perspective and their life mm-hmm. and everything they've sh- experienced that they're, you know, they've shown, they've shared so far. So that when I am able to speak into it, it's coming from a place of, I just kind of trust this guy. Yeah. I don't know a lot about him, but he's actually listened to me and isn't just trying to force something on me. I think that's, that's something that I found very effective. Wow. Uh, well, we want to get to know Sam a little better. Yeah. Would you one by one pull out everything that's in your book bag? Uh, we could try that. Have show and tell. Yeah, we can do most of the stuff. Sam, show and tell. We can see what's in there. So, just uh, so everybody can see, yeah, this is Sam's book bag right there. Yeah, we'll pull out most of the stuff yep. here. And we're going to... I have a winter breakdown thing that one of my teammates made for our Kyle Catholic that is currently uh, a little bit bent because it's been in my backpack for a couple days. Um, I have a notebook that is currently used. I've had it since February 28th of 2022. I currently have about five pages left, so I'll probably be done with it before um, I return from break. I have another one of these for some reason. Um, I have this nice, uh, The Word Among Us book, which is kind of similar to a a Magnificat, but different. I have a Bible that my great aunt gave me. She is a nun in Wichita. I don't remember. I think she's still alive. I don't know. I think she is. I have two or three different nuns I'm related to. I know one of them had passed away a few years ago. And I don't remember which one gave this to me. So I hope she sees this and then lets me know. Hmm. Um, But she's been a nun for like 50 or 60 years. So she's been a nun for a while. But I remember she gave this to me my senior year when I graduated. And the note just said something like, if you ever get lost, this helped me a lot. Something like that. And I was like, that's hilarious. So funny. But also just so genuine. (laughs) That's profound. Yeah, it is. It was like super profound, but also just like funny. I was like, that's hilarious. <laughs> Great. If you get lost, this one helped me a lot. I'm like, okay. Thanks. I don't remember her name. <laughs> he's, like, he's like my mom's aunt, so my grandpa's sister. And she's in Wichita, so we didn't hear that often. I have this Life of Christ book by Fulton Sheen that I've been reading mm. that I'm currently 574 pages into out of 650-something. So I am approaching the end. Which wow. is very unlike me. I normally start a book and then get 30 pages in and don't finish it. Uh-huh. Um, i put the Bible here. Uh, I have The Lamb's Supper by Scott Hahn that I started years ago, got 30 pages in, lost, and now I've started again and gotten just as far as I was. I haven't gotten any farther, though, because I need to finish Life of Christ first. Um, I have The Foundations for Discipleship book which is uh, a book that a lot of, so uh, within Focus, they wrote this and it has a lot of the stuff that we cover in discipleship, um, which is just our model to eventually evangelize the whole world, hopefully, but to really grow like deep uh, personal uh, formation with people. And it just has a bunch of different articles about different things, whether that's prayer, the sacraments, how to evangelize, how to lead a Bible study, um, how to pursue Christ-like character, all these different things. Uh, what else do we have in here? I have a planner, um, which has not much written in it because I 
typically just remember things in my head, which is a dangerous game, but it has not failed me yet this semester. Um, oh, this is a fun one. I went on an eight-day eight silent retreat this summer uh, where I needed to get uh, Ignatius' spiritual exercises and an imitation of Christ. And I went to a bookstore that was not a Catholic bookstore, but a Christian bookstore in Bismarck, North Dakota. And they had a little bookshelf that just said Catholic on it. And they had imitation of Christ, but not just any type, the giant type. Uh, <laughs> so it is the largest text I think I've ever seen for any book in my life, which is fun. But uh, what else do I have? Uh, I have my missionary handbook that we used at training this summer. I don't really need this anymore, but I have it. <laughs> I have another old notebook from <laughs> 2021 to 2022. So I can find a bunch of old like Bible studies I prepped and a bunch of like prayer from my senior year of college in here, which is actually really cool. Um, oh, yeah, this is amazing. Wow. You crazy stuff. I'm going to look through that soon. Um, I have a whole packet worth of stuff here, which some of this came from retreat. I wanted this one is a teaching discernment, which was taught by Timothy Gallagher, mm-hmm. uh, father Timothy Gallagher about how to like teach the discernment of spirits from Ignatius and Loyola. So I now have some credibility in that. And then this is a bunch of stuff from my, uh, different things, but some of it is from the summer. Some of this, a lot of it is from my silent retreat. So, oh, that was an awesome one. There's a John Henry Newman's last sermon he gave as an Anglican bishop, an Anglican priest before he converted. It was called The Parting of Friends. And my spiritual director had me read this, and I just remember reading it and, like, weeping. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was just very moving to see the way Jesus himself was very social and, like, loves people. And it, oh, it, was, so, it was so moving. I'll, I'll take it apart and let you read it. It was awesome. I remember reading it during my side of the Oh, it was awesome. We tried to talk about Silent Retreat for a while. Oh, this was more stuff from training. So, what else do I have in there? That's pretty much it. There's a couple of random scraps of paper. This is a picture of a cat with my name on it. So that's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, I just have a bunch of random books and stuff in my bag. So, uh, The Life of Christ. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. Share with us. Let's close by sharing what you shared with me. The Emmaus one? Yes. Yeah, so I started reading this book pretty shortly after my silent retreat um, because I'd seen it before. I knew Fulton Sheen was probably good at writing stuff because I'd heard about him. And the whole point, like the biggest thing I take away from my eight-day silent retreat was just legitimately a deeper relationship and a deeper knowledge of who Jesus is as a person and as a man, but also as God too, which is like in relation to me. And this whole book is literally called The Life of Christ. So it walks through his entire life and before till like the ascension. So, I mean, it starts talking about how he was literally pre, like he's the only person in history to actually like be prefigured, not just even in like Christian Jewish tradition, but even like Chinese tradition, a bunch of other tradition where he is described in all of those as well as the 200 different ways in the Old Testament to the New Testament where he's prefigured all this stuff where it makes, it, there's too many coincidences for it to just be, oh yeah, it was him. But the part that I shared specifically with you 
I wonder. I was looking Bible study with some guys about the road to Emmaus, and I was like, okay, I'm curious if Fulton Sheen had ever written anything about this yet. And I haven't read this part, so I just kind of jumped ahead to it. So I'm actually approaching it soon in my own reading of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to find it right now. But here it is. And there's a part that just, it struck me in a way um, that I wanted to share with Father John here because it just, it just explained, I don't know, it was really moving. So there's a, in the road to Emmaus is like the, the story, right, where there's two men walking the road, Jesus approaches them, this is the day of the resurrection, so literally Easter Sunday, and they're talking about what had happened, and he's like, oh, what are you guys talking about? He's like, how do you not know? Like, this is, everyone knows what's happened. He's like, oh, tell me about it. And like, well, you know, Jesus was here, and he died, and apparently he's resurrected, and then Jesus, even though they don't recognize him, pretty much takes it and is like, oh, not just that, but this, and then goes to, I mean, has the greatest Bible study of all time, pretty much, (laughs) literally having you know, God explained you the scriptures in a way where they're like getting, holy cow, this is crazy the whole time. And they go to the table, they like stop, like, hey, come with us. Stop at the table. They break the bread. And as he breaks the bread, has the, you know, legitimate, like this is the Eucharist, this moment. Uh, it's like the first Eucharist post like the Last Supper, which is crazy to think about. And that's recorded in the Bible. And as he does that, they notice that's him. They see his presence in the Eucharist. They see his presence with them, and then he vanishes. Um, which is even cooler because they neither of them were at the Last Supper when the Eucharist happened itself. So when they approached the apostles and told them about it, there was probably this like, "Wait, how did you know that he did what?" So it was almost as like third party confirmation. I never about thought about that. Yeah. So they, they never knew, but the apostles knew. So they're like, oh, this happened. And they're like, what? This is crazy. It, it, it deepens a lot. So the Fulton Sheen talks about the, the, the quote in it that has always moved me in a deep way is right when he disappears. They say, were our hearts not burning within us when he spoke to us on the road and when he made the scriptures plain to us? And this idea of the heart burning, this deep movement, towards something, the stirring of your heart. Uh, and what Fulton Sheen says about it is he, uses, he, he says, his influence upon them was both effective and intellectual. Effective in the sense that it made their hearts burn with love and into intellectual in as much as it gave them an understanding of the hundreds of pre-announcements of his coming. And then I underlined this line because this was really moving to me. Mankind is naturally disposed to believe that anything religious must be striking and powerful enough to overwhelm the imagination. Yet this incident on the road to Emmaus revealed that the most powerful truths often appear in the commonplace and trivial incidents of life, such as meeting a fellow traveler on a road. Christ revealed his presence in the most ordinary roadway of life. Knowledge of him came as they walked with him, and the knowledge was that of glory that came through defeat in his glorified life as in his public life. The cross and glory went together. It was not just his teaching that was recalled. It was his sufferings and how expedient they were for his exaltation. What is it that strikes you? Uh, The the part that a lot of times, and I think especially for me, because I've had these very moving, powerful moments in my own journey to where I'm at now. I have a handful of other ones beyond just that initial first one where they were these like 
bigger, like kind of neon light, like sign moments, as well as dozens of non big moments. But when he describes it, mankind is naturally disposed to believe that anything religious must be strengthened and powerful enough to overwhelm the imagination. Yet in this incident of the road to Emmaus, reveal the most powerful things often appear in commonplace. And trivial incidents of life, such as meeting a fellow traveler on the road. Mm. So something as simple as meeting a person, or something as simple as just normal things in life, can be very much connected to God in the same way as these powerful moments of like liturgical setting or of prayer. Have you seen that here at the Newman Center? Oh, I would say so, definitely. Can you give an example? Um, well, it's like picking your kids, you know? <laughs> There's so many. Uh, but, yeah, kind of what, I, what I'm, I mean, going to is just seeing, seeing very real, like, vibrant life between people where it's actually a joyful conversation and joyful things being done together and living life in a way where you can tell the relationship is like centered around Christ. Mm-hmm. Are they talking about Jesus the whole time? No. Are they talking about like, you know, random things about the liturgy or random things about like the history of like Christianity or these intricacies about stuff? No. Does that happen? Does that come up? Oh yeah. But to also just have these normal like conversations about life, but you can tell that there's like this Christ like love for the other person. Because what it's like once you, once you come to know him, then we start to become more like him, and as we become more like him, we're able to be like him for others, mm-hmm. right? So, so that's very beautiful. Thank you. Uh, I know there is always the risk of particularity, but yeah. I think it's important for us to not be afraid because God is particular. Yeah, um, and it doesn't because you speak of a particular doesn't exclude others. It just says, is there a particular person at this Newman center that you've met that has really changed you, uh, or really like helped you see Christ? One of the students that's like kind of surprising the reversal of you're on mission and suddenly Mm -hmm. you find they're actually the one bringing Jesus to you. Mm. Definitely. I'm just trying to think of who's the first person I thought of. Mm. Or probably the right answer. Maybe maybe it doesn't have to be the first person, but yeah, somebody. Um, I would say, for instance. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm just thinking like 10 different people which is like a beautiful problem oh yeah and you know like 500 people here I know yeah I know a few yeah probably 500 um, but uh, yeah kind of, kind of one of the I mean the, yeah one of the first ones I'm thinking of that's continually coming up in my head so there's really two I'm thinking of but I'm just going to pick one and then we'll never know who the other person is mm, that's a good way uh I'm going to, yeah, I would say this one guy who's a sophomore, he's a junior technically, uh, my friend Rylan has been a really uh, impactful person for me to know this last year and a half that I've been here. What's the particularity about it? Why, why has Christ used him? Yeah. Or so I should I, say how. 
what yeah. has happened maybe is there something that's happened when it when you sort of like understood wow this is a gift this friendship yeah it, it, I met him I think the first Sunday mass second Sunday mass here so like the evening one just met him talked to him got his phone number invited him to Bible study you know come to Bible study I knew nothing about the kid I just knew he's from Minnesota he was studying to be a doctor and he seemed like a cool guy like seemed pretty nice pretty genuine but we didn't go super deep it was kind of like I just need to get, like, I was trying to get people's contacts and like phone numbers so I can invite them to stuff later. That was really my initial goal. I was like, I'll figure out the details later. Um, but from the relationship and friendship, just the very real openness, he, he came in, he was, he was at mass, but he wasn't like, a Catholic, which was really fascinating to me. I was like, oh, I assumed everyone that was at mass the first Sunday of the year, maybe like second, third Sunday would be different. The first Sunday, I figured everyone would probably be Catholic. Yeah, I was always, that was so different here. I thought everybody was going to be Catholic. There's so many not Catholic people yeah. here that I, I just don't assume anymore. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. It's not a normal experience in the church, but yeah, it's and, a beautiful experience. Uh, and just from that, just his openness and like honesty mm. in, like our, in our freshman Bible study was really cool, mm. really profound, where he just, I knew that even though he wasn't Catholic, he was very faithful and very much loved Jesus and very much loved God and was answering the questions and open and being real and honest and then asking questions when he had them, which then gave me a space to be able to like, okay, I'm going to answer a question that might be a hard question that some of the other guys might not know the answer to and I might not have known the answer to it but to just think about it in a logical way using charity and truth mm-hmm. to try and explain something to someone that isn't, didn't grow up in a Catholic mm-hmm. household where most the other, every other guy in the Bible study had been Catholic since they were born. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just kind of, maybe not, I wouldn't say took it for granted, but they just like, they just knew a lot of the stuff because they did, or like at least the general things they were aware of because of just growing up and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, it was just a really cool opportunity to to do that, and then just as we continue to grow in like friendship, he eventually started asking more questions, and we were just going on this journey to really just find truth together. Great. Um, if you were to be asked by a parent or by a potential student of the University of South Dakota, um, about the Newman Center, how would you describe? the experience of the universities of St. Thomas More Newman Center, Catholic. Yeah, how would I describe it? <laughs> kind of like, uh, I would say don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> you know, because you look at it like, oh, this looks like this was built in 1964 because it was. And then you go inside and it still looks like it's an older building. It's pretty well kept, like, I would say we do a pretty decent job of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but even though something might have like a certain exterior thing, the interior is very much alive, uh, very vibrant. Where you can, there's just a lot of life. Where I, I feel like this is a place you can come into and just be a part of it very quickly, mm-hmm. as opposed to a place of that like, oh, this is. Only certain people are allowed here. It's like pretty welcoming, I would say. Mm. Um, and that's something we're still growing in, I would say, you know, as we continue to get bigger and continue to have more people that are just here and more community. But 
I, I would say it's a very welcoming place to come and just live life with people. Uh, I mean, the Christian life in particular, but life in general. Uh, I think authenticity is very authentic, mm. I would say. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a very warm place, especially compared to that it was like two weeks in October when it was really cold because the morning wasn't <laughs> But yeah, a very, a very warm, welcoming place that someone could come into to become part of a, a bigger community that is about growing together as opposed to making someone grow mm. or like forcing someone to do something. It's very much a place of invitation as opposed to a place of like forcing your hand either way or another where very few times like you have to do this. There might be certain things where like, hey, you should probably go to Sunday Mass, right? Like that just makes sense on a logical level. Mm-hmm. But like daily Mass, not like you have to go. It's like, oh, like, we're going to daily Mass. You want to come? And people with complete freedom say yes or no. Mm-hmm. I think there's a better choice, but just because they say no doesn't mean we'll view them any differently because they didn't go or something. They, like I, I think that to give people this opportunity for like freedom and choice to then choose to accept the relationship but also choose to accept like God in whatever the way they want is incredibly important to the Christian life as opposed to forcing something upon someone because mm. yeah, that's what God is I mean yeah sometimes he'll just show up in our lives whether we want it to or not but he also lets us choose him what if we uh, wrap it up with a little story about the most recent time Sam recognized Christ is here. So it was yesterday afternoon. I was meeting up with um, one of the guys walking with me in discipleship, Tyler. And we were just talking about the semester, talking about Advent, talking about next semester because he's going to be on an internship so he'll be gone most of the time. So what that's going to look like. And we, we, I kind of challenged the guys <coughs> like a week or two before with Advent coming up to make some real choice of how are you going to open up a place in your life for Jesus to actually enter in. Kind of almost to make yourself like Bethlehem in a way of if we don't do anything differently then our end is just going to be full and then Jesus isn't going to be born in the end, right? He's going to be born in the manger, which is the way it worked out. But like what if we're the innkeeper? Are, are we able to make space for him? Um, which was based off something I think you might have said about like the way he's born into our lives or born into some area of our life. And I asked him how he'd been doing with that. And he's like, oh, I just made sure to actually like, consistently make sure I'm going to the chapel every day for, I can't remember how long, if he said a half hour or whatever it was. And I was like, oh, how's that been? Like, have you seen, like, what's that been like? And he said, honestly, it was been really good in a way I didn't expect it. I was like, oh, what do you mean? And he told me, I feel like I've been able to love people better just because I've been able to go there. And I asked him, oh, that, I mean, I, like, this, is like, this is awesome. Like, what do you mean? And he, and he told me that from just this time of prayer, right, being able to pray, every, like praying every day, intentionally going in this, literally into this well almost to receive from God, he's like, I've been able to love my girlfriend better. I like wanted to love my family better, been able to like love the people around me better even like love God better, which is just amazing to like hear that, mm-hmm. just to hear this actual legitimate like fruit 
that is happening from just something very simple as, oh, I'm going to like commit to pray a little bit every day, you know, and like to see this tangible notice where he's like, yeah, sometimes it's hard to love some of those people for different reasons, you know, just because it's hard to love people because loving is very much a choice, you know, and to describe it as it's been easier and more fulfilling to do that is, is almost seeing like the love of God enter into him in such a way that then he's like propelling out, you know, it was amazing. Wow. Thank you. Thanks for being here and, uh, for reaching so many students, uh, and being a great witness. The only thing that surprises me about this interview is your humor did not come out. So there might have to be another time down the road when we have Sam's uh, humor hour. <laughs> so yeah. very good. Shall we pray? Sure. Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, <laughs> the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners 